Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the show! We're going to be talking about, well, the only thing we're going to be talking about is the Porsche Taycan. That is right, we're getting on to all the info that I have managed to scrunch up on this car. All of it comes from Rodent Track, so credit to Rodent Track for the article that they did on the Taycan. All the information comes from them. And it was a lot of information! I have an open office document and it's six pages! Almost a full sixth page, like three quarters of the way there. There are trim levels for the new Taycan. We have the Turbo and Turbo S, despite the Taycan, either of them, not having tur any turbos whatsoever. And there's a <laughs> some people I know, they're, they're changing the name of their podcast, but they were formerly the, well, sort of formerly the Team ClearCoat guys. They were talking about... They were talking about whether or not that's okay for Porsche to name an electric car, or the trim level of an electric car turbo. We might get to that at the end of this podcast. I don't know. We'll see if I feel like it. But it could all. It, honestly, it could kind of warrant its own smaller podcast episode. The turbo will start at one hundred and fifty-three thousand dollars five, one hundred fifty-three thousand five hundred and ten dollars at launch, while the Turbo S will start at one hundred eighty-seven thousand six hundred and ten dollars. Which, if you're wondering, both prices exclude the destination charge. Power. Both the Turbo and Turbo S offer six hundred and sixteen horsepower in normal driving. However, once you activate launch control, something interesting happens. See, both trim, both trim levels are equipped with something called overboost. Basically, you get 2.5 seconds of increased output. In the turbo, this means you get 670 horsepower. Turbo S. A earth-shattering 750 horsepower. As such, the turbo can rocket from 0 to 60 in 3 seconds flat. 0 to 124 in 10.6 seconds, and do the quarter mile in 11.11 .11 seconds. The Turbo S is a bit faster, but similar. The Turbo S can do 0 to 60 in 2.6 seconds, 0 to 124 in 9.8 seconds, and the quarter mile in 10.8 seconds. Speaking of power, let's talk about the torque figures. There doesn't seem to be any information on whether or not these figures differ when, slash when not in overboost, but the Turbo has 627 pound-feet of torque, and the Turbo S has 774. Speaking of drag racing, another reason why the Turbo S is faster on the drag strip is due to the inverters. The Turbo uses a 300 amp inverter, whereas the Turbo S uses a 600 amp inverter. Further differences between the Turbo is the fact the S gets 21 inch wheels, carbon ceramic brakes as standard, and rear wheel steering, which is also standard as are the wheels. As Rodent Track reports, an engineer told them that the Turbo and Turbo S are dynamically the same. The only difference is off-the-line acceleration, really thanks to that inverter. Top speed. Both will max out at 161 miles per hour, supposedly. Drivetrain. Both the Turbo and Turbo S have two electric motors for each axle. Get ready. Things are about to get a little bit nerdy here. So the Permanent Magnetic Synchronous Machine, or PMSM, motors told you things were about to get nerdy, were built in-house. Apparently, they're easier to package than traditional electric motors, but they're also more expensive to develop. However, they're also easier to cool, which is important considering Porsche wants consistent and repeatable performance with this car. Much like Tesla, Porsche decided to go the all-wheel drive route with the Taycan. As such, the Taycan has a rear motor. However, things get a bit interesting in the form of the gearbox. For the rear motor of the Taycan also has a two-speed gearbox to accompany it. In Sport or Sport Plus modes, the rear drive system starts out in low gear, thus improving acceleration. In any other mode, it'll stay in high gear all the time. 
Furthermore, the rear motor also has an electronically controlled limited slip diff. Unlike the rear, the front has to make do with just a single speed gearbox. If you're wondering, all drivetrain components were built by Porsche in-house. Stuff like the motors, inverters, and even the two-speed gearbox were built in the company's hometown of Zuffenhausen. I hope I got that right. Rodentrack suspects that Porsche will build an entry-level Taycan, assuming we get one, with only a single motor powering the rear axle. They also think a Taycan 4S with twin motors is likely, although with a lower power output than the turbo models. When the Taycan is being driven in range mode, it becomes front-wheel drive, supposedly a first for Porsche, but there might be something in their, in their illustrious history that never made it past production that proves otherwise. In any case, this helps the Taycan reduce energy consumption. We can't talk about electric cars without mentioning the batteries, though, so let's mention them. Both the Turbo and the Turbo S receive a 93.4 kilowatt hour battery pack that are attached to the steel floor plan of, sorry, floor, floor pan of the car. All Taycans will use a 800 volt electrical architecture that Porsche claims will allow for very fast charging times. That, of course, remains to be seen. At launch, Porsche says the Taycan will be able to handle 270 kilowatts of input current, whatever that means. This will potentially be increased to 500 kilowatts of input sometime in the future, although they didn't say when. Like Tesla, Porsche is working on what can only be described as a supercharging station, except probably less pretentious. Porsche promises this new 800-volt turbocharging system will be able to recharge a Taycan's battery from 5% to 80% in under 23 minutes. With that said, Porsche states that charging time slowed dramatically after the 80% mark is reached. Perhaps predictably, Porsche recommends that you charge your Taycan to 80% and carry on your day. Or carry on with your day. Infrastructure for these charging stations looks like this. The aforementioned 800-volt charging stations will eventually be conveniently located at Porsche dealerships and Electrify America, uh, Electrify America charging stations. Although Porsche doesn't state how long this will take. With all this talk about power, performance, and batteries, you've probably wondered what the range is for the Taycan. Unfortunately, this is where we start getting into some bad news. The EPA hasn't yet rated the driving distance of the Taycan. Fortunately, the Europe's LTP testing procedure, perhaps, estimates that the range of the Taycan, of the Taycan Turbo should be about 280 miles on a full charge. Not really, not really impressive by any means, but hopefully this will improve with future development. With that said, things do get worse if you step up into the Turbo S, as the Turbo S only has a range of 256 miles on a full charge, as per the Europe WLTP measurements. Rodentrack says the 21-inch wheels are to blame for that reduction. Moreover, it's also worth noting that WLTP testing often returns higher numbers, or higher range numbers, than the EPA's measurement, which means those numbers could fall even further. Not ideal. To make matters worse, Tesla has Porsche beat in this area. Currently, the Model S performance has a range of 345 miles, growing to 370 miles in the long-range trim level. Quite creative. However, it isn't all smiles for miles for Tesla. When the Model S first came out, it only had a range of 265 miles. Tesla improved the Model S through new iterations and then through software. If Porsche does the same over-the-air updates, we might see them catch Tesla fairly quickly. Let's move on to weight. It's no secret that the batteries make electric cars pretty heavy, and the Taycan is no different. Porsche says the Taycan Turbo weighs 5,081 pounds. Frightening, considering that's not too far away from the Cayenne Turbo, apparently. Opting for the Turbo S doesn't make things much better as you only lose 22 pounds. Or basically, if you skipped Thanksgiving dinner altogether. 
However, the batteries are mounted low in the Tycon's chassis, which Porsche claims gives the Tycon the lowest center of gravity of any of their models. Not only that, but the battery acts as a structural member of the chassis, providing additional torsional stiffness. As you can imagine, this means the batteries actually contribute positively to the handling, as do the three-chamber air springs and adaptive dampers. Adding to this fun fest of handling exceptionalism, you can get the Tycon with the Porsche Dynamic Chassis Control, or PDCC, 48-volt active anti-roll bars, which are optional. Rear-wheel steering is also an option, but only on the Turbo, as they're standard on the Turbo S. Porsche nuts might have been wondering whether or not the Taycan would use suspension components from the Panamera, and they'd be partially right. From what I've read on the Road & Track article, they didn't use Panamera components outright. However, the suspension design in the Taycan is similar to that of the Panamera. Things like the double wishbones up front and the multi-link out back. With that said, the components were redesigned for packaging reasons. It's a new car, it's, not, or it's a different car, so that's not surprising. Electric motors and inverters take up a lot of space at each at each axle, after all. And if you thought we were done, no, we got two more pages, two full, two full pages more. But wait, there's more. Porsche says that even the traction control is affected by the fact that this is an electric car. Road and Track reports that Porsche claims the system works 10 times more quickly than it does in a normal ICE car. The automaker also claims that they can adjust what electric motors are doing in just 2 milliseconds. Now it is time to talk about the tires. The Taycan will be available with an array of different tire options. The standard tires are as follows. 245-45 up front, which is probably 245-R45. And 280-40 in the rear on 20-inch rims. Apparently 265-35 and 305-30 Goodyears will be available on the 21-inch rim, but those wheels were used on a prototype that the journalist who wrote this article, Chris Perkins, got to ride in. All seasons are standard, while low-resistant summer tires, well, low-rolling-resistant summer tires are optional. So too are a set of winter tires for the 20-inch rim. Unsurprisingly, the Taycan has regenerative braking. Still, still have a hard time saying that word with that. With that said, the Taycan system is different. Where most other EVs have a pretty aggressive system, which some say allow them to be driven with, effectively, one pedal, the Taycan gets most of its regeneration when the brake pedal is in use, blending it with traditional friction brakes. As such, Porsche states that this gives the Taycan a more natural feel and consistent brake pedal behavior regardless of battery condition. Of course, drivers can call upon a small level of accelerator liftoff regeneration if they press a button on the steering wheel. The German automaker states that 90% of braking in normal everyday driving will be handled by regeneration. However, you'll note that the Turbo and Turbo S both have massive friction brakes too. The standard setup on the Turbo has 16.4 inch discs with 10 piston calipers up front and 14.4 inch discs with, the, with front piston calipers out back. Optional on the Turbo and standard on the Turbo S are carbon ceramic brakes with 16.5 inch rotors up front and 16.1 inch rotors in the back. Massive. Absolutely massive. With that out of the way, let's talk about aerodynamics. The Taycan boasts one of the lowest drag coefficients of any car currently on sale. 0.22 for the Turbo and 0.25 for the Turbo S. Some of that is thanks to a totally flat underbody, which even has covers for the front and rear axles. Additionally, active aero components also help alternatively reduce drag and promote cooling when necessary, while the active spoiler has positions for low drag and high downforce. 
Visually, the design of the Taycan is, thankfully, close to that of the Mission E concept from four years ago. Rodentrek says it has a similar width-to-height ratio as a 911. Now, after all that talk, it's about time we got to the interior. If you think the interior design of the Taycan looks a little bit 911-ish, then you're not mistaken. In fact, the man who penned the Taycan's interior, Thorsten Klein, owns a 1973 911. Adding to the 911-ness of the interior is the unhooded gauge cluster, dramatically sloping frunk, and the prominent front fenders. All of this combined, as Rodentrack says, gives a very 911-esque view out of the front windshield. They even say there's a bit of 918 in the interior as well, which they attribute to the rising center console that has a touchscreen HVAC controller and the stumpy gear selector just to the right of the steering wheel, seemingly where a stop-start button would be. No wonder then, there's some 918, 918-esque, no wonder there's some 918 design traits in the Taycan's interior, as Thorsten also did the, 19, the 918's interior. A central touchscreen slightly recessed in the dash runs Taycan-specific software, while a passenger display is also an option. Klein told Rodentrack that Porsche went screen-heavy with the interior of the Taycan because the company believes EV customers are looking for more tech. We'll find out if they went overboard with the screen sometime in the future. They also wanted to make a definitive point that they're looking towards the future whilst nodding to the past in the process. There's even a start button to the left of the steering wheel, which seems odd to me. That is all the specs, so let's talk about the looks. Because we briefly touched on that before. I actually, I really like it. I think, to be honest with you, I think this is what the Panamera should have should have looked like when it first came out. Of course, it's not 100% perfect, as no design really is. I think the the lower portion of the rear of the rear bumper where that faux grill is, it kind of drags, it kind of drags the rear end down. It makes it, it makes, there's no better way to say this. It makes the Taycan look really butt heavy, and I and I don't like that. I don't mind that they've added the a diffuser. I just wish, I just wish the rear end looked leaner. It's too butt heavy for my liking. Let's see if we can find a good front end shot here. What do I think about the front end? Um, I also like it. Some people are saying that it looks a little droopy eyed, but the almost like it has covers. But honestly, I don't really mind it. It's it is different to a few other Porsche models, yes. But then again, that's kind of a good thing. It's unique. It's its own Porsche. It, it obviously looks like a Porsche. With with what I just said being said, it does still look like a Porsche, but it's its own. It's its own car, which is quite nice. And actually, before I forget, getting back to the rear end, I do like the taillights, and I also like how they wrap around. I I don't really care for how simplistic they are, but I do like the overall design. That's nice. Getting back to the front end, though, I do quite like it. I really do. I don't, I'm not quite sure what the vents on the side, well, on the side and below the headlights are all about. That's not bad looking. It's just a little strange to me, but maybe they're for battery cooling, brake cooling, any one of those. Overall, I'm actually really impressed. This, this looks like the Panamera that should have been. It's not. It's the Taycan, which I still think is a relatively lame name, but yeah, I like it. I'm all for it. Except for the range, that's a little pitiful, but looks nice, and I'm sure some of you have seen the white one with the <laughs> sort of like faux white walls. Um, I kind of like it. Porsche managed to pull that one off. I'm not sure if I like how the spokes are black. I don't think it would have been great if they were white. It's just, I think it would have been better if it wasn't a five-spoke design. And not that I hate five-spoke designs. I love five-spoke design, five-spoke wheels. Something's just a little bit off for me on that. I kind of prefer the blue one with the normal Porsche wheels. 
But anyway, let's talk about the interior. And you might have been wondering, you might have been a little bit confused about what they meant by a passenger display is also available. I was when I first read that. So you have a 918-esque touchscreen sort of in the lower center console. Then you have the center, the center display in the dash. And then you have one on, on, the, uh, on the right side. That seems to be what they're talking about when they say a passenger display is also available. I do think there's too many screens. I do think there's too many screens between the one in the center, the lower center console, the, the rest of the, uh, the center dash, and then the passenger, and then the gauge cluster. I do think there is too many screens. However, it's not the worst one. It's not the worst interior. Like take, for example, the fact that the, and you might've been confused by this too, that the gauge cluster is unhooded. What they mean by that is, you know, in most cars, we have the gauge cluster, the top part of the dash kind of protrudes over covering the, the gauge cluster. That seems to be what a, I guess what a gauge cluster hood would be. And this car does not have that. It's actually got a wraparound. It looks like a wraparound gauge cluster, which is kind of cool. And, and it doesn't stick out. It doesn't stick out stupidly above the, the dash structure. So it's, it, it, it's not, it sticks out from it, but not above it. And so I don't mind the fact that it sticks out. As long as it's not above, that's nice. The, now, the rest of the touchscreens, though, and the rest of the dash, they don't stick out. They, the top of the dash actually covers it, so that's nice. But yeah, I'm, I do think there's too many screens because you have the one in the middle, and then you, or you have the one in the lower middle, and then you have the one in the dash. It, I don't know, I just, it, there's just too many screens. I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that likes, that likes a good ratio between screen and air vents. And I know that's really weird, but there's, there's just a lot of screen, and then there's lower air vents in the middle. Which they actually they they actually don't look bad, they look pretty well integrated, and then you have one on the side that's less well integrated. But it's just it, there's nothing to break it up, so it's just one continuous. It's just it, it's like sitting in a really narrow movie theater. So it's really long, but it's it's very it's not tall. It's like having a thin twenty inch tablet. That's what it looks like. Put into the dash. And I, get, and I get that it's option, and I and it looks like there's two separate screens here in that there's one display and one other, except there, it looks like two separate displays only because there are two separate things in this press image, not because there's there's an obvious divider separating the two because there isn't. Because part, part of me wonders why they couldn't just make that one screen in the actual center of the dash have all the functionality. Because it, it kind of makes me wonder, what what does that handle? That couldn't have been handled by this by the gauge cluster. That's you know that's what I have to wonder. And, and if that's the case where they couldn't handle where they needed the extra space, why didn't they just make that one screen a little bit bigger? Not as big as having two screens, but just make that one a little bit bigger to handle the extra functionality or the screen in the middle. And I get that 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 deals with the HVAC controls and all that, but to me it just seems like there's too many screens that don't do enough to utilize how many there are. They could have been there could have been enough functionality programmed into the screens they had. But with that said, with with the fact said that they're that I believe there's a bit too many, they're not poorly integrated. So that's nice. That's not at least that's the case. And I guess like a lot of courses, they have a little clock, uh, analog and digital clock up top. So that's nice. Oh, okay. So they have they have a picture of where it shows the Tycon's functionality. I still have to ask. Okay, I I will say this. Considering the kind of functionality that I'm seeing there, I think it is better that it is in the cent it is 
the center screen of the dash rather than on the gauge cluster. But that still doesn't explain why they needed another another screen right next to it to handle every other function on the man. Because it's even further away from the driver, it's basically a passenger display. And forgive me, but how are you gonna operate the radio at the very least before you're going without having to stretch all the way over to that side of to that side of the car? It it just seems a little bit like an oversight and a, an eventual annoyance. But then again, I'm. I also kind of like giving the passenger their own screen so they can do whatever they want because honestly they're not driving as long as it's not messing with the radio unless you give them express permission to but again from a functionality standpoint i just don't see why it's necessary yeah overall i like the interior too many screens but all the screens are well integrated and the overall design is quite nice very porsche do i think they hit it out of the park design wise yes i think in their methodology yes Range, not yet. Let's hope that they'll work on it in a similar way to Tesla, you know, over-the-air updates, hopefully boosting the range sooner rather than later. But I do think they did a good job. I do think Porsche did a really, really good job. Kudos to Porsche, the Taycan. I think it might, it, it'll probably actually be pretty popular. So anyway, I hope y'all enjoyed this episode where we focused on one car, although it was quite important. I wasn't expecting there to be more information about this than that Bugatti... Then that Bugatti SS300 Plus. Such a weird name. I hope you all enjoyed. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. If you do subscribe on YouTube, hit the notification bell. That way you're notified every time we upload. If you're on Podbean, follow. Maybe they have a notification. I don't know. If they do, check it. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Tell me what you think of the Taycan. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I saw a video on Twitter of it sliding from a journalist. The worst part about it... The worst part about that car was that the only thing you heard was tire squeal. <laughs> that was that's the honestly that's gonna be the worst part about electric cars. Anything you do that's cool, like drifting or a small slide around a corner, or a burnout, is not gonna be accompanied by the fault by the following appropriate noise. It's just gonna be tire squeal, and that's it. And that's pretty sad. But yeah, tell me what you think. Hope you enjoyed. I will see you all soon.